Welcome to Atomic Moms, a modern parenting podcast about the joys and complexities of caring for our children and ourselves. I'm Ellie Noss, and each week we celebrate and commiserate with best-selling authors, experts, and moms around the world. Hi, everybody. So I literally just asked my new neighbor to stop building his house for the next hour so I can record because this interview means so much to me. I've got Dr. Kurt Newman on the call. He is the president and CEO of Children's National in Washington, D.C., which P.S. is ranked in the top three pediatric neonatology hospitals, according to U.S. News and World Report. I looked that up this morning. He's got 30 years under his belt as practicing surgeon and chief of surgery at Children's National and is a professor of surgery and pediatrics at George Washington University Medical School. Today, we are talking about his brand new book, Healing Children, a surgeon's stories from the frontiers of pediatric medicine. (sighs) Now, listen, a lot of mamas just went, la, 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 I don't want to talk about my kid potentially ever getting hurt or sick or needing surgery or my unborn child ending up in the NICU. For most of us, this subject can bring up feelings of powerlessness. But in the next 35 minutes, we have the opportunity to get some answers and get empowered. You will love the personal stories that Dr. Newman shares with his pediatric patients over the years, the life lessons he received from mentors, and the life-saving tips he shares with us all. Dr. Kurt Newman, you can tell I'm like totally geeking out right now, so I apologize for my breathlessness. Uh, Welcome to Atomic Moms. Well, thank you, Ellie, and it's uh, wonderful to be with you and have this opportunity to talk to a group of folks that uh, I really wrote this book for. This book does draw on my experience as a pediatric surgeon for over 30 years at at one of the top children's hospitals, and and it's in Washington, D.C. I've spent my entire career there. I'm now the CEO of the hospital, trying to take a lot of those lessons that I learned and put them into practice, not just in surgery, but across the hospital in general. But the, the, the reason to write the books was, was really for, for moms to empower uh, parents based on uh, the lessons I learned and the knowledge that I gained. I wanted to share that knowledge, you know, about the special medicine that is practiced in children's hospitals, about the what a pediatric specialist is, why go to a uh, emergency department that's focused on children, the differences around pediatric anesthesia, neonatal intensive care units, this whole world that I have uh, just loved and gotten so used to, but I've found over the years that a lot of people just don't know about it until they're in the middle of it. Dr. Newman, we are so clueless. Like, I was reading your book, and I was like, how do I not know these things? Like, even where is the closest children's hospital and why I need to go to one? So I tried to uh, bring people into that world through these stories of amazing kids and families that I had the opportunity to take care of to uh, illustrate some of those scenarios and then empower parents. And then I've got some tips at the at the end, some practical knowledge and steps that people can take uh, ahead of time, because that's really what it's all about. It's about education and preparation and being ready for these situations, just like you would uh, get your house uh, ready and have a plan if there were a fire or, uh, you know, you, you, you make your finances, your finances, you make a plan. The same, it's the same with the medical care for your kids. Make a plan. Know where that emergency department 
that does a good job with children know where that is ahead of time. So if your child breaks a, uh, an arm or has a concussion or anything like that, you know where to go. The same thing with uh, maybe your insurance. Is the children's hospital on your insurance plan? A lot of people don't know about it till after the fact, and then frequently it's too late or you get into a big fight with the insurance company or the hospital. So those are the kinds of preparation and insights I wanted to uh, share with people. I want to address a topic first that many parents wrestle with but don't talk about, and you made me think about it in a new light, and that is protecting our child's self-esteem versus teaching our child self-acceptance. So let's say out there there's a listener who's got something going on that is not life-threatening but can lead to teasing or shame. So in the example in Healing Children, a, a child has a sunken chest. And so the pediatrician had said, you know, surgery is not worth the risk. The child needs to learn to accept who he is. Um, and I think a lot of us would say that, yeah, our child should just learn to accept their uniqueness. But what was your mentor, Dr. Randolph's, perspective on this topic? Well, he uh, was a surgeon and he was my mentor here in Washington and taught me so much. And it was his view that you had to look beyond the, the physical. And you also had to take in the perspective of the child to really have in a meaningful way. And we talk a lot about it, but, you know, I mean, he put it into real practice, which which is patient and family-centered care. In this kind of situation, he would try and think it, uh, and look at the problem from the point of view of the child. And uh, when you do that, you start thinking uh, differently. So in this case, it was a situation where uh, the young man was getting teased a lot. Uh, he was afraid to uh, go swimming. He wasn't comfortable in the locker room and sports, that uh, type of thing. But you wouldn't know it if, if you're doing that interview with the parents. Or And I think that's the, the pediatrician's mistake in that point was to come in with a point of view, okay, well, this is the problem. We need to talk him out of we need to t talk the child out of his concerns and that the correction of it uh, was a big operation and that that wasn't worth going through. But if you talk to the child, boy, was it a different uh, perspective because he uh, really wanted to uh, look normal. He was born with this uh, situation and it had really uh, impacted his whole life. And he was willing and his parents ultimately were willing once they sort of got the full story to make a decision uh, that uh, was very different from what the pediatrician had recommended. And uh, boy, it turned this kid's life around. And he uh, went through the surgery, uh, got a very good uh, result. And when you, t you know, I mean, uh, it's very easy to people for people to talk about uh, something a, a child is born with is and need, needs correction uh, as a maybe it's a cosmetic thing, but for them it's it's not cosmetic. It's something that touches their entire psychology. It's something a congenital defect, if you will, and so to be able to correct that and impact his life. I mean, it was it, maybe it wasn't technically life saving, but it was life changing. And I think I think that's the perspective that I learned from my, my mentor, Dr. Randolph, is to really uh, think about things 
uh, differently, and not just in the moment, but think about that lifetime that that child is going to deal with the with the issue and all the impact. And that's what we do in pediatrics. You don't want to just uh, make um, a decision with what's exactly there in front of you, uh, what the condition is, but you want to think about how it goes forward over the lifespan of the child. And so that might mean a very different approach uh, in how you deal with a problem or create a scar. I talk a, a little bit about a uh, a girl that had cancer, for example, and she came to me, She, I think she was eight or nine years old, and she had a, a brain tumor. Uh, and that what I was being asked to do was seem very simple. It was to put a, a special IV in for the chemotherapy. But having had surgery myself, I had uh, my own uh, cancer when I was in medical school, and I have a scar, uh, I thought about with her, well, where should we place the scar? And because typically where you would uh, make the operation for this special IV, uh, a portacath would be, you know, on the chest. And so I talked with her and I said, look, we're going to do something a little different. We're going to put it over here near your armpit. And that way, when you wear a prom dress, when you were 15 or 16, you, you're not going to see that scar. Boy, was, did that turn things around for her because not only did it give her a sense of optimism that she was going to have a, a prom, but also uh, that the, that we were thinking forward about her her life. And it just gave her a lot of trust and confidence in me. And then she did come back to me and uh, when and I got a picture of her in the prom, Jess, and I still see her from time to time and we laugh about that story. But the, the point of it is, is to be thinking forward. Think about that child and then as an adult and, you know, back to the boy with the uh, sunken chest about the impact that he had to live with that and how discouraging that might have been for him to think about having to live that way the rest of his life and how it, uh, exciting it was for him to know that there was a way to get that corrected and that he would, you know, look like everybody else. And, you know, he and would take uh, off his shirt at the beach with his family and all that. This young man joined the Marines. Uh, he was uh, he w he served in Iraq with honor and distinction, and you know I am confident that this helped you know move him along that uh, pathway. Okay, mamas, do you see why I got breathless at the beginning of this interview? That I'm actually speaking to Dr. Newman. Um, so you write, and uh, I'm going to quote you here. And I just want to say that I think in the three years of writing this book, you were subconsciously thinking about how badly you wanted to be a guest on Atomic Moms podcast um, because you write, for me, the mother's opinion, typically unscientific but thoroughly rooted in a powerful capacity for intuition and empathy, became a key tool in assessing, calibrating, and treating a child's disease or trauma. And later you go on to write, a mother is suited, even programmed, to monitor that fine line between justifiable risk and excessive intervention. So, Dr. Newman, how can a mother listen to her gut and be the best advocate for her born or unborn child? Well, it's, it's really to uh, trust your intuition. And I, I learned over the years uh, that every time I seem to not listen to the mother, I got into trouble. 
And uh, <laughs> I love that. <laughs> and so one of the one of the keys was to, uh, uh, as a, a physician and a surgeon, was to to uh, be uh, more open and listening and in, inclusive of uh, the mother and the father, but into the team and to empower them to advocate for their child, uh, so that their intuition would be part of the decision-making process. Because there's so many things that we don't know, and the biology and the resilience of children is it's just so impressive. But there's something uh, spiritual in that connection of a, uh, a mother and their child that I think we just have to uh, trust and respect. It's not the whole answer, but it's certainly part of the uh, solution frequently. And I, I talk about a, a situation uh, that I took care of around a mother and a grandmother and where the, they had come to me and I remember them saying, look, oh, well, this was afterwards. They said, look, they came to me not for, cause I said, why did you come to me for a second opinion? And they said, look, we came to you not for a second opinion, but for an expert opinion. And they had been given some, you know, advice about their uh, unborn child that was really not based on uh, the correct uh, interpretation of some x-rays and ultrasounds. And they had been advised to terminate this pregnancy based on what the obstetrician had seen on the ultrasound. And they came uh, to me and I looked at at this, uh, the, the studies with one of our top radiologists who specializes in that area. And in fact, their intuition was right that this uh, they didn't know medically, but they just had a sense that what they'd been told wasn't exactly right. And this was not a condition that you would ordinarily uh, terminate the pregnancy on. It, it would require surgery after birth, uh, but uh, the hope uh, would be, and that it uh, proved to be true, that uh, the baby would grow and the, the this sort of tumor or mass in the lung wouldn't uh, grow as fast and that this baby would be okay with surgery after birth. And that's indeed what, what happened. So the uh, idea here is that, uh, back to your original question, is to, for a mother to uh, trust their intuition, to listen to that and be connected to it, and then be in a, uh, not to be intimidated. Mm-hmm. And I think it's frequently these days, it's there's so much science there's so much bureaucracy and all of this. It's easy to get intimidated by the situation, but uh, but to advocate and to uh, and there's resources in the hospital, in a particularly in the children's hospitals, to help you advocate. And more and more, the there's uh, nurse navigators, there's social workers, there's all types of resources uh, to help uh, parents advocate. Uh, for their children, and at least understand the the situation more completely. And I think, you know, I think second opinions and, uh, and expert opinions are important. And I I'd never get uh, upset about somebody wanting to get a, a second opinion. I think you want doctors that that uh, are open to that because it helps uh, confirm things and. You never want to be wondering in your mind, boy, did I do everything I could have for that for my baby or my child? So um, I think it's a philosophy that's worked for me. Well, um, thank you so much for saying that. I think that a lot of people get intimidated by doctors and uh, 
just hearing the best of the best say that you aren't offended um, by people seeking out other opinions. Like I think that's really helpful for moms to hear uh, and that it is our job <clears throat> to be the first line of defense for our children. When you were speaking about the wondering that can happen as a mother, um, I'm going to try to keep my anxiety level like down to just like a hum here. But let's say your kid falls off a jungle gym or gets in a car accident but seems to be fine. You write that, at, quote, a child can appear deceptively normal in the aftermath of an injury. And so that obviously freaks me out. And uh, there have been articles going around on Facebook again about secondary drowning where, you know, symptoms might not show up for 24 hours. So Dr. Newman, like, what are we supposed to do? Like, how do we not just spend every weekend in the ER, like, just double-checking? Well, uh, that's a very good question, and it's it's hard to find the right balance between uh, concern and and then, you know, going on with your life, if you will. <laughs> yeah. uh, and I think that's where a strong uh, relationship with a, with a pediatrician uh, that can – help a parent understand and, and sense and evaluate the, uh, the scenario, things that might have happened, and uh, see the child uh, or, or over the phone be able to evaluate things. And more and more, uh, there's uh, different tools to uh, help the pediatricians do that. Because, yes, you're right. I mean, it's not realistic to be in the emergency department every weekend. However, you know, I would I would say and that you had two boys. I'm lucky. Yeah, I had two boys, so I did spend a fair amount of time in emergency departments. And I think the key the key point there too was I always wanted to be in an emergency department that was focused on children that had uh, because it's uh, and this is what you want to know ahead of time. So you want to know the uh, uh, the emergency department that you're going to use and. Frequently, it's not the closest one. And this is a mistake that a lot of times people make, as they want something convenient. They want something where it's going to be a short wait or whatever. And maybe the uh, specialty children's hospital or the pediatric emergency department is, is further away and maybe seems more inconvenient. You would never, ever make that kind of balance or compromise I mean, I'd used to drive a couple hours on the weekend to soccer games, to different sporting events and, and, and whatever. So why, you know, why worry about an extra 10 or 15, 20 minutes to get to a place where they, you know they're going to have the right equipment, they're going to know uh, about the uh, uh, dosages of medicine, they're going to have the specialists that, that all they do is take care of children. And, and children are just so different. A concussion in an eight-year-old is different than a concussion in a 12-year-old or a 16-year-old. A, a fracture, a bone issue, is very different in a child because you got to think about the grow, growth of the child, the growth of the joints, the growth of those bones. And you don't necessarily want somebody that, say, that's looking at the x-rays that doesn't know about, say, growth plates. I know that doesn't may not mean a lot to your audience, but it's so important if there's a, a fracture about where the growth plate is and was that involved. I mean, it can have huge impact down the line. So you want the, you want the place where you have, have all of that. And I've learned over the years, 
and, and I get phone calls from my friends and they say, well, look, we're down here at XYZ uh, Community Hospital and they don't have a orthopedic surgeon uh, that takes care of kids. And, you know, what should I do? And I'm thinking, my gosh, you know, you should have called me before you went over there or, or something. But right. get, to the, get to the place. And the way to make that happen is scope it out ahead of time. So and even maybe go go visit. And so, okay, this is where my child is going to be. And you kind of then have a comfort level. And when you're on the way over there, you're not worried about where to park or how to get into the Mm -hmm. place. I mean, you kind of know it ahead of time, not in the midst of the emergency. Do a dress rehearsal. Do a dress rehearsal. That is key. So my daughter, when she was two and a half at preschool, jumped off a picnic bench because she was trying to fly like Superman. And then she couldn't walk for the day. And she didn't get an x-ray then because I guess our pediatrician said the swelling, you know, it wouldn't show anything anyway. And if she was still having problems on Friday, uh, then to do an x-ray, she ended up walking fine. But now she's complaining about growing pains, which may I've been assuming is not related. Um, But my question is, when do we do x-rays? Because I get worried about radiation. Uh, First of all, uh, the the symptoms are important. And, you know, if a child is limping or having a a pain, that certainly needs to be evaluated by by your pediatrician. And that would be my first line of evaluation. And uh, yes, you want to avoid what I would call unnecessary radiation, but there's sometimes uh, where the symptoms really, that's the only way you can, you, you can solve it. And I think one of the uh, good things is uh, with it, uh, something like MRI now, you know, there's no radiation with that. So there's been, a, and there's a lot more focus on in doing the tests uh, that, that are done on limiting the radiation. But again, this is a key point. So uh, at a children's hospital, for example, they know how to give the least amount of radiation when they're doing a CAT scan or doing an X-ray. They know to cover uh, the different uh, organs so that there's not going to be, uh, you know, exposure to, uh, let's say, the, the the ovaries or to the thyroid or some of the organs, and they they limit the doses. The other thing is. Uh, if if there's sedation required, which frequently is, there is in smaller children, uh, they know frequently how to avoid the sedation uh, by uh, distracting the children. Or if sedation is required, you have specialists that know just how much to give, uh, whether they have to give uh, a full anesthesia or it can be uh, sedation. So I'd say uh, there's, there's two sides to that uh, question. Uh, one is, you know, if if there's really some symptoms there, then you need to have you need to get a diagnosis, and you don't want to be sitting on something that could be treatable early. Mm-hmm. And then the second side is you want to have those tests done in a place that knows what they're doing with with children, and then they have the radiology experts that deal with children. So you don't want an adult specialist reading the X-rays of your of your child. That would defeat the the whole purpose as well. So you had a friend who encouraged you to start writing this book before you even had kids. Uh, And then he ends up calling you in the middle of the night because he had twins. And at first it all seems great. 
Um, and then there's an issue with one of the twins' intestines. And so they do an X-ray, and it's the middle of the night, and the nurse practitioner had assured them all that, you know, that all would be okay. And instead, because he's friends with you guys, he had reached out to you and you and your wife, Allison, who I'm in love with from the book, by the way, you guys have an ambulance take the twins to your hospital to do emergency surgery. And so we should know, I guess, if we're giving birth at a um, a NICU 4, right? That's like the, the best and where it's round-the-clock care and the specialists are there. But I guess my question is like what – do we do if we live in a town or a city that doesn't have that sort of facility? And then how do we fight a nurse about that in the middle of the night? Like if, if he hadn't been your friend, like this could have turned out very differently. So besides making friends with like the CEO of Children's Los Angeles, like what do I do? <laughs> Well, that would be a good thing, first of all. I know. If you've got a hookup. He's a great guy, and uh, Children's Hospital Los Angeles is one of the great uh, children's hospitals uh, in this country. Uh, no, but that's a terrific question. So what do you do? And uh, obviously not everybody's going to deliver in a hospital that has a level four neonatal intensive care nursery, and, and that's, not the, uh, that's not my intent. But my intent is for people to know the differences. So know what is, there are levels. And to talk with the obstetrician, and if you're in a situation where there does seem to be some complexity to, uh, you know, the baby or the unborn baby, you know, I think that's another good time to be having a discussion. Well, what is the game plan? You know, what is, uh, if this pregnancy becomes complicated and the baby is going to be born premature or maybe there's oh you're you're talking to the girl right now i've been on this or, modified or, bed rest or, for like a month <laughs> right or or the ultrasound has shown something yeah uh, there are so many services now available to evaluate the situation ahead of time and then uh, make a plan about for the different scenarios so if things are uh, are going uh, fine and the uh, hospital, the delivery hospital, it looks like and feels like to everybody that uh, that that there's going to be um, uh, it's going to be an uncomplicated situation. That's great, but if if a complication develops or there's something more complex, what's the plan? And maybe you know, or maybe even visit uh, the hospital or talk to the uh, people there just in case that's where either you have to go to to deliver or where the baby might be transferred in case of a problem in the initial uh, delivery hospital. So I think it's, again, back to the uh, making a preparation and a game plan. A lot of people don't want to do that because they are worried that somehow that, you know, it's going to be bad luck or right. you don't. Wanna. But I think it's in some ways very empowering because then if, uh, and in this case, the case uh, you talked about, uh, the baby had to be transferred to, to Children's, but the mother's still in another hospital. Uh, she's recovering from her C-section. There's a twin that's left behind at the at the community hospital, and uh, you know it really becomes a. And this is all being you know has to be worked out and worked through and negotiated 
uh, while in a in a crisis uh, situation. What do you do though? With the nurse practitioner assured them that all would be okay. Like, do you just, what if that happens to me? Do I say, um, "Thank you," but I'd like you, to speak to a specialist? Like, how do I not be offensive? Yes. 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 Uh, well, I'd, I'd start with. Uh, I'd, well, you know, when it's your baby, you're not being offensive. I love that. And, oh, that's going to be the quote. That's our atomic mom's mom bomb. <laughs> <laughs> I love that. <laughs> but you want to, well, well, in this case, and I love nurse practitioners, by the way, and I think mm-hmm. they uh, are the best. And my wife is a neonatal nurse practitioner and the one you love. Oh, yeah, and, Allison. Uh, I mean, I, and Allison, she's I my make-believe girlfriend now. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, you know, in this case, I think the uh, I think the, the scenario was she thought things could wait and they'd, they'd settle down. I think in that kind of a situation where your intuition and everything is telling you this isn't just right, then you want to say, okay, I want to talk to the attending physician. If the answers don't feel right and it just doesn't, you, you, I think you can ask, well, you know, can you get a second opinion? Can you talk uh, to the hospital that, and if you've already made a plan and a contact, then you know that they probably have a relationship with Mm -hmm. that uh, referral hospital because that's the key. That's one of the things you want to know ahead of time. What is their relationship with a a more intensive referral hospital? What are they going to do when they have an issue? And that way, you know, that uh, in the, you know, in your situation, it might be that that hospital has a relationship with your uh, children's hospital. That's, you know, mm-hmm. 20 miles away or whatever it is. And you and the, and you want to kind of understand that. That may be a reason not to, to ask your OB, well, you know, is there another option? You know, where is the hospital that does have that relationship that does uh, where the doctors are talking back and forth and where it's uh, a, a, a seamless uh, transport uh, thing? These, all, these things are all in place by the way. Mm-hmm. So they're all there. It's just they're, the parents aren't getting access to them. But we have all these arrangements with all of these different different hospitals. It just requires activation. In the activation, we parents need to do this during daylight hours. Most women go into labor in the middle of the night, right? So we need to figure this out during like sober daylight when we're not super stressed out or we haven't just given birth, like we need to have this plan now um, and be able to, you know, make some phone calls while people are actually like in, you know, at work versus trying to figure this out at 3 a.m. when when there's not a lot of time. Well, I think you want to figure it out when you're feeling good. Yeah. And you might. And uh, when you so you you had the conversation uh, with the uh, obstetrician. Uh, you're starting to think about where you're going to deliver. Uh, maybe everything looks fine, but it's still uh, good to know and to ask the question, well, if there's a problem in the hospital where I'm going to be, what is their plan? Who are they connected to? What children's hospital do they work with? And the answer might be, well, you know, we don't. they don't really have that or whatever. But I bet in most cases uh, they do. And then you can feel a little more comfortable but maybe there, there's already something that's shown up on the ultrasound and you're going down the pathway of, of having to get more tests. Then you really need to take it to another level and say, well, uh, should I deliver closer to that hospital? Or, you know, what are the 
services that I might need and how do I get them? And you, this is a time to really be uh, an advocate and not be shy because and you probably want to even have a written plan uh, mm-hmm. worked out so that you can, you know, you feel comfortable because if you are in the situation where it is an emergency, you know, that's not something you're going to be in a situation where you're trying to remember or, uh, oh, yeah. you know, you've got, you got a lot of other stuff on your mind. And you should have a written plan for your partner, too, so he doesn't or she doesn't screw it up if you're, out, you know, just coming out of it. Absolutely, because uh, <laughs> a C-section she, or something. She or he may be the one that has to execute yeah. on, on that if you're in the midst of a C-section or or, or whatever. Uh, you want, the, you know, and you will probably want to have made that plan together. And um, so that you know the different steps and, and, and all of that. When you start getting it down on paper, actually, I think most people feel a lot more uh, comfortable and, and confident uh, Absolutely. About, about what's going to happen. So I know you probably have a million meetings to get back to. I want to end our conversation on, of course, your wife, Allison. On a date, you get called in for surgery. And because she was a nurse at the hospital, too, you both scrubbed in. And I love it because it just feels so Grey's Anatomy. You guys were, like, at a wedding, and you get paged. And so you guys go back to the hospital. And then you successfully perform this insanely complicated surgery on a newborn. And you thought she'd be super impressed. But what did your amazing future wife teach you? Because I think it's something that moms will want to hear. Um, and it's something for all of us to remember at every stage of parenting, you know, as our children get older as well. So what did she teach you uh, when you walked out of that surgery and you thought you were hot stuff? Yeah, I did think I was pretty cool. Uh, and that was part of the uh, subliminally part of the strategy there. It was one of our first first dates. Uh, I, I just did want to clarify, she didn't scrub in to help me with the operation. But, uh, but she, she did, did put on her nurse scrubs, right? She did, she, she did. She did come into the operating room. The nurses okay. thought that would be, be very good so she could observe. I'm focused on the operation. The baby is, is there. He's uh, a, a, a tiny newborn uh, that had a lot of surgical issues that were really complicated. Uh, so I got really focused on what was the operation we were going to do and the team and all of uh, getting, I've called in a couple of other specialists to make sure and that we had everything all set up right. And the operation uh, uh, did go well. We did some uh, uh, procedures just to make sure we had everything stabilized, knowing that we'd have to come back later and do a more surgery at an, another time. So uh, we were finishing up. The baby had done well during the operation, and I'm feeling really good and and uh, expecting. Yeah, a lot of praise and this, you're, you know, you're <laughs> maybe a surgeon. kiss. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah, who knows? But <laughs> I, uh, she, she was actually very cross with me and and really brought me down to earth and said that you know I'd really taken my uh, during a very critical time before the operation, the baby was lying there uh, alone and nobody was really pay, paying attention to him. And that he had needs and, you know, he needed to be, uh, somebody needed to be making sure he's cuddled and warm and uh, that he's uh, being, uh, feeling the, because uh, uh, his parents aren't there, but he's feeling like he's, he's has uh, a family around him. And, you know, it just really brought me up short and she was absolutely right. And um, I think personally, I've, you know, taken that approach and I think now, 
just about all the the children's hospitals, you know, that is the uh, philosophy. And we would never uh, let a baby uh, be in that situation in an operating room uh, uh, without that kind of embracing uh, the fact that they were a baby. I'm happy to say that the story ends well. Uh, it took me a few years to convince her that uh, to get over that situation. Uh, and uh, the other good part of that story is uh, 27 years later, uh, Tyler, who was that little baby, he uh, got married. And I'd operate on him about uh, 22 times uh, during his life. He'd been in the hospital uh, way more than that. This is a, I was at his wedding. Uh, it was one of the happiest days of my life, certainly his life and his wife, Jesse. I was just with him actually uh, uh, last night. I'm not going to give away the, uh, the, you know, no spoiler alert here. <laughs> I'm not going to give away the uh, end of the story, uh, but he is a hero. Uh, he's a real a real champion. And it's why uh, we all go into uh, pediatrics. It's because, you know, it's not just that operation that I did way back, but there were the things that we did during that operation uh, on his first day of life that are so crucial now to him being the young man that he is. And you want that kind of care and decision-making and uh, and that approach, because there's so many things that we can do early uh, that have a big impact. And we're seeing that more and more in, in pediatric medicine, whether it's around diabetes, obesity, uh, mental health. If you 20% of kids will have some type of mental or behavioral health issue. And a lot of times it's not diagnosed early. But when you diagnose these things early, the ability to uh, correct them is so much greater. And we're going to see more and more of that with the genetics, with the technology we've got. I mean, the future is really, really bright for medicine. I have to get on my soapbox a little bit, Ellie. Well, I, well, Please I've got do. The, well, I got the atomic moms because uh, the, uh, there's a situation happening that I'm really, really worried about. And that's a lot of what, you know, here I am in Washington, D.C., mm-hmm. but uh, what's happening here um, in the on Capitol Hill and is the discussion about uh, big changes in our, our health, our health care and health care policy legislation. But what we don't hear is about its impact on children. And there needs to be more conversation about that, because some of the uh, things that are being talked about Medicaid cuts that hits uh, a lot of our children. 30 million children in this country are on Medicaid. And so my view is we ought to be talking about that more. We ought to be investing more in our children. I mean, we have Social Security and, and Medicare for the elderly, but we don't have that same thing for, for children. There's not that uh, secure health care. And so it's it's so important. And so I just want to be sure that I'm trying – in some ways with the book uh, beyond all the great stuff we talk about is to spark a more of a conversation about uh, the healthcare needs of our children. Well, Dr. Newman, you have a soapbox here anytime 
talk for two more seconds if you can. I'm sure you're getting pulled in 50 directions right now. People are probably standing at your door being like, where is he? But what, what can we do or what, what else do we need to know about what's going on right now? Well, I, I think it's uh, important to get active locally. And I've got some resources uh, in the back of the book, some uh, websites. The American Academy of Pediatrics is always a great place to find out what's best for children. You know, it's a little different state by state. Each state has their own uh, uh, has their own issues. Uh, but I think uh, it's important in the political process to whatever your party affiliation, wherever, you know, that is, but is to, is to ask about children. Well, what's the impact of this on children? And frequently nobody's even thought about it. Everybody wants to do the best for kids. I mean, that's, mm-hmm. I found that uniformly. Nobody's out there saying, look, we want to uh, do this because it, you know, is going to not help kids, but they frequently just don't think about it or, or think about the impact because kids don't vote you know, they're not co- contributing to campaigns. And so a lot of times they get left behind. Yeah. So that's where mothers need to stand up and ask that question. Well, what is the impact on, on children on, on this? What is that going to do? If we cut research funds for the NIH, what is that going to do to uh, uh, research uh, that's so needed for, for children in the future, for example? So, though, you know, I think it's really uh, getting educated, asking uh, the, the questions, because in my, uh, you know, mothers uh, are a powerful lobby when they all get together. Mm-hmm. I mean, nobody, nobody wants to. Uh, <laughs> uh, uh, nobody uh, wants to piss off mama bears. They, well, they don't want to annoy the mothers and certainly the atomic mothers. So, no. uh, you know, it, it, it's uh, so you've got power, you know, but uh, the power is in really sparking the, the asking the questions and sparking the conversation. Well, Dr. Newman, it has been an absolute honor speaking to you. Listeners, you're going to buy this book. Uh, you're going to go to the bookstore and you're going to buy it or you're going to go on Amazon or you're going to find it on AtomicMoms.com, Healing Children. The author proceeds, I mean, if you didn't love this guy enough, uh, all the author proceeds go to the Pediatric Health Opportunity Fund, a charity supporting research and innovation in pediatric medicine. When you buy the book, there are so many incredible, like Atomic Moms homework assignments for you all. Find the nearest pediatric specialty hospital. Figure out how to get there from like home, from school, from sports, wherever your kids spend time. Uh, you're going to map out the directions. And in the book, he also discusses concussions and about what to do about them and also about pain management and this really, really cool thing I had never heard of called gaming therapy. So get the book. Learn about it. Um we should know this info before we have to deal with any of this in our own lives. Um, and he also has this really fantastic list of very important questions to ask our pediatricians. Okay, everybody. So subscribe on iTunes.com backslash Atomic Moms. Leave a review. It helps our rankings so new moms can find us. And spread the word with your mom groups. Uh, reach out to us on social media at Atomic Moms. As always, we're streaming and have show notes on AtomicMoms.com. Dr. Newman, you gave us so much important information today. Thank you again. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure talking with you today. Until next week, trust in your goodness, live out your greatness. Rock on, Atomic Moms. Boy, I'm going to live by that motto. That's a good one. I'm, 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 I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs>